five o'clock on a Friday. Welcome back to the Height Sports Podcast. My name is Andy Baxter, alongside Peter Kim. Boston College football coming off a forty-one to thirty-four victory over Wake Forest. BC is three and zero to start the season for the first time since two thousand and seven, and could very well be ranked for the first time since two thousand eight this coming week. And I think it's especially promising because uh, I'm sure a lot of BC fans will remember last year Wake Forest also kicked off the ACC slate for the Eagles and they did not perform up to, up to scratch in that game. They ended up losing 34-10 at home. They really had trouble containing um, Wake Forest mobile quarterback and John Wolford. Um, just all around, not a great performance from the team. This year, of course, there's a lot more positive signs to look on, but I guess Wake Forest also can be kind of a metaphor for BC's um, kind of arc of success over the past four years, I know. We've noted that Wake Forest and BC have actually had the exact same record in each of the past four years. So it's been interesting to kind of compare the two teams as time has gone on. Right. There's a slight difference with Wake Forest. I think they have 20 wins over the past four years, or BC has 19, because in 2017, Wake Forest had eight wins. BC only had seven. Of course, they had won the Pinstripe Bowl. They would have had eight as well. But Wake Forest has a slight edge there. But in yesterday's game, BC was obviously the superior team, and I have to wonder if BC didn't have those two special teams turnovers, it could have been a very different game, maybe more of a blowout. Sure, I mean, I think you're definitely right about BC looking like the superior team, but of course special teams is going to be a big part of any close game going forward. Um, BC needs to have some form of reliable punting and place kicking, and yesterday I don't think they really showed either of those. I know, first of all, Michael Walker fumbled a punt return, which is not ideal considering he's normally a sure-handed punt return. Second of all, Grant Carlson dropped yet another snap, um, which leads to another block punt touchdown. I think that's now three touchdowns that the special teams punting unit has yep. given up on the year. And for sure, um, if BC's talking about wanting to be competitive in the ACC Atlantic, wanting to kind of measure up to teams like Clemson, Virginia Tech, or Miami, those mistakes have to go because the team is talented, obviously, but they don't necessarily have the talent to overcome that kind of mental lapse in order to compete with the top team, I would say. No, it's certainly telling, especially after last week against Holy Cross where there were two punt returns that were blocked for touchdowns. And at that time, Adazio kind of played it off by saying that, well, the second and third teamers were in, so the chemistry was a little off. And, you know, when that happens, it's just something that happens against an FCS team. But then when you see it again happen at Wake Forest, I know there was a high snap and everything, but there is some truth to their, their blocking the formation. The punt there, the gunners are just getting right through. they got to have some kind of fix for that, especially if you're Adazio coming into the brunt of the ACC slate. And look, like we, we, we can criticize their special teams play this year and, and say, well, look, they, they haven't been up to scratch. But what's more concerning to me is that this has kind of been a trend over the past four or five years under the Adazio era. I mean, take a look at the Wake Forest game. Four years ago, BC ends up losing on two missed field goals. Um, last season, they had issues with field goal kicking. The season before that, more issues with field goal kicking and extra points being missed. So I don't know what to really make of this as a trend. Um, BC obviously can't really find a solution to their kicking woes right now we're in season it's tough to kind of bring in anyone outside um, I don't know what they're gonna end up doing about the kicking situation but it is something that's very concerning something that's been trending something that we kind of have been noting for a while now I guess. right it's interesting last year in terms of special teams BC was actually pretty decent kicking aside place kicking aside that is I mean you have Maximilian Schulz a guy's hovel who was great on kickoff duties he could boot the ball back in the end zone there was no kickoff threat for other teams um, then you have Mike Knoll punting the ball, and he was pretty perfect in terms of pinning opposition down and flipping the field for BC, as we talked about last week. And Carlson's done a decent job, but again, the place kicking is where it really goes wrong. Last season, Colton Lichtenberg was 12-20. The season before that, he also had problems in short-range situations as well. And then yesterday, you have John Tessitore taking over because Colton, Colton Lichtenberg had a 
undisclosed injuries. So you have John Tessitore taking over, obviously a, a true freshman, but that one extra extra point he missed was kind of head scratching. Yeah, I don't think I've ever seen an extra point that traveled solely along the ground. But uh, I mean, obviously, any number of things could have gone wrong. He could have taken a misstep in the run up. Um, he what he did make, to be fair to him, he did make the other five extra points. But like a one point, like we've been saying, one point is a pretty big difference, and it's kind of annoying that. Um, you know, he was kind of heralded as a big acquisition for the Eagles coming into the year because obviously we've had our place-taking struggles in the past. A lot of people were hoping that he would be the answer. At least he could consistently hopefully make 30, 35, even 40-yard field goals. That would certainly ease a lot of Eagles fans' mind. It would ease my mind a lot about the, the kind of place of the special teams going forward. But from what we've seen so far, I think he's now missed two extra points on the year. So it's still kind of an unresolved question mark. Yep, special teams definitely something to keep tabs on as the season goes on. As you said, in ACC play, one point, three points, whatever it is, a field goal or kick can really alter a game or even a season. Um, but that's not the only thing that kind of went wrong for BC. Again, we're being nitpicky here. That was a good win for BC, and they move on to 3-0. and But also the run defense has got to be kind of a concern for, for BC against Wake Forest. Yeah, so I know um, we mentioned BC struggled a little bit against John Wolford last year. He was kind of the same mold of Sam Hartman, the true freshman who's come in and taken over the starting job for the Demon Deacons with the original starting quarterback, Kendall Hinton, being out. But they struggled to contain him and his running ability last year, and it's a little concerning that we saw pretty much the same thing this year. Um, Wake Forest rushed for almost 300 yards. I think they averaged just under five yards a carry. Um, Both Sam Hartman and the two Wake Forest running backs, I think one's um, Carney and also... Uh, Matt Colburn, they all had pretty good days rushing the ball. BC looked like they struggled a lot with gap discipline, especially with Carney. He he was very patient behind the line of scrimmage, kind of waiting behind his blockers, looking for a hold open. And I saw multiple plays where it kind of seemed like both the defensive linemen and the linebackers got a little impatient um, wanting to go make a play on the ball. And that leaves him open for those little holes for the six, seven-yard gains, most notably um, on one possession in the fourth quarter when Wake Forest was backed up against their own goal line. Some some gap indiscipline allowed Carney to get actually break off a 42-yard gain, completely flip the field. Um, BC ended up did end up getting a stop on that possession, but that's the kind of thing um, that you have to take advantage of on defense, especially if you have an opponent pinned against your own goal line. So. When you look at Sam Hartman in the stat line, 20-45, 214 yards, two touchdowns, and two interceptions, you think true freshman. Obviously, you're not completing half your passes. You're throwing two interceptions, both of which came in the first half. But the guy was doing some good things on the field, especially with the run-pass option. And BC didn't really have any answer when they're running the zone read. And that's also, again, like you said, a problem that presented itself last season. If you look at the beginning of the 2017 season, they couldn't even contain Northern Illinois' Ryan Graham. I think he had 99 yards in that season opener of the 2017 season. Of course, Brandon Wimbush for Notre Dame. They ran all over BC in that game. Again, later in the season, you have Lamar Jackson. Even though BC beats Louisville, Lamar Jackson had his way with that BC defense. So going forward, there's going to be other dual-threat quarterbacks in the ACC that BC's going to have to face. And if they really are going to be that team that challenges Clemson in the Atlantic, it's going to be up to figure out a way to not only stop the running backs and the talented running backs in the ACC, but also the quarterbacks too. Yeah, for sure. I mean, just to list off some of the dual-threat quarterbacks, I know Louisville, Lamar's obviously gone to the to the Ravens in the NFL. They have a new, I think he's a true sophomore, Jawan Pass. He's shown some rushing ability. Obviously, you have Kelly Bryant down at Clemson, Malik Rozier in Miami. And those are all... Um, good teams that BC 
with what we've been seeing from them so far this year, they have a shot at competing with them. But obviously, if there's some scheme issues, if, if there's some gap discipline issues with the running with the running game, that's not going to help their chances any much. And they're already facing kind of an uphill battle, even though they do play all of those teams at home. They kind of stay competitive in those games. So those are the kind of mistakes we can't see, just like we were talking about on special teams, um, if they want to be, like you said, that team that competes with Clemson in the ACC. Right, and what Hartman was able to do was that he extended the play on multiple occasions. And by scrambling outside of the pocket, he kept BC's defense on edge, and as we said, uh, we'll mention again that Wake Forest was 6 of 7 on 4th down, which is something that, for BC, if you're looking at that stat, you've got to get off the field at some point, especially with a defense that wasn't quite conditioned for a full game in the ACC. The first two weeks, the starters probably played a quarter or two quarters, then you go into Winston-Salem and you're playing a Wake Forest team that puts up 34 points, and all of a sudden you're bending down and you're breathing heavy because it's in the fourth quarter and you've got to come up with a stop. So that's something you got to get off the field. And six or seven on fourth down, even six or seven on third down is something you can't allow. Six or seven on fourth down is just kind of hard to believe. Now, to be fair um, to the Eagles, I was charting the fourth downs after the game. There was only one fourth down that Wake Forest went for it on um, that was longer than five yards, and that was because it was the end of the game. They are down by two touchdowns. They ended up converting right. a fourth and 12. Not ideal, obviously, but you're up two touchdowns. You're kind of playing a little more conservatively at that point. But um, Wake Forest... Um, one of the things I know you mentioned they ran a lot of plays. One of the things they were able to do, in my eyes, on a lot of those fourth downs was they started going tempo a lot in the second half. They kind of caught BC in some off coverage, some kind of vanilla looks um, that are pretty easy, like five-yard out, four-yard slant type conversions. Those are easy throws for Sam Hartman to make. So that's maybe something I don't know how feasible it is to fix that in maybe a week or two, but um, for sure getting getting different looks in on fourth down, making sure your players know what's going on from the sideline. So you at least have some form of different look for the – for the offense so it's not some easy like simple fourth and four conversion every single time that's something you can definitely look to change um, I don't know how long it would, how long it would take to make that kind of adjustment but certainly something to look for going forwards and again even though there were six or seven on fourth down third down they were only five of 22 so that's obviously a positive sign for Steve Adazio and Jim Reed looking at that defense and the pass defense again was pretty marvelous especially the forcing turnovers you have Hamp Cheevers with interception Will Harris with an interception by the way Hamp Cheevers probably could have had four a couple were dropped, a couple were a tad late when he when he jumped the route. So they're definitely positive to take away from BC's secondary. Yeah, I think um, they definitely made – Hartman did make some throws, obviously, but it looked like a lot of the completions he did make, you know, a lot of 50-50 balls that could have gone the other way. Obviously, BC's looking at a much different scoreline if that happens. I do think the secondary is going to have to keep kind of playing up to their potential because we've mentioned a little bit um, their deficiencies on – the Eagles' deficiencies on the front seven in kind of um, – in kind of the run game. One thing I will say um, about the front seven is Wyatt Ray, um, who is starting across from Zach Allen. Steve Adazio did call him um, elite in one of his preseason press conferences. Obviously, that's always taken with a grain of salt. It's preseason, but I think he kind of really showed for the first time the talent that he has. He's been sitting behind, obviously, Harold Benji for the past couple of years, but he actually broke the uh, BC single-game sacks record on um, yesterday with four, and he kind of showcased a lot of different techniques, speed, power, kind of stunt rushes just straight off the edge. It was really impressive to see and kind of a good sign for that defensive line going forward, so props to him for that. I feel like you see some things in, in Y. Ray that you saw in Herod Landry in terms of speed off the line and stuff like that, but he seems like a stronger body, a little bit more brute force there involved off the line. But yeah, totally impressive, but I think we saw some of that last season too. Herod Landry missed the final five games of the season. Wyatt Ray had to step up on the outside, and obviously having Zach Allen on the other side of the defensive line gives you some leeway they're going to stack that side of the line a couple tight ends maybe a different kind of package there 
to double team Allen, why Ray would probably have some opportunities. The same things happened this year, and the two kind of feed off each other. It's kind of a symbiotic relationship, and they're really thriving there right now. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I think um, it's very important um, to not obviously have just one guy who can rush the passer. You need multiple guys, especially if you're playing against more mobile quarterbacks. You need to be able to collapse the pocket from both sides. So hopefully that's something that BC can continue to do um, in upcoming games. But really what happened, and the reason why they won the game, was the offensive side of the ball, and it all goes to Anthony Brown. I know A.J. Dillon had 185 yards on the ground and a touchdown, and everyone was talking about A.J. Dillon, but Anthony Brown, he set a new career high with five touchdown passes, 304 yards, and by the way, all five of those touchdown passes were thrown in uh, second, third, and fourth quarter, so in the first quarter he didn't really have anything going for him. Just because B.C. was running the ball 15 times in the first quarter, only passed it four times in the opening frame. I think, I mean, the first drive of the game, you got A.J. Dillon run, A.J. Dillon run. Those first two runs get a total of seven yards. Third carry, 45-yard touchdown. Immediately, right off the bat, you're talking about, well, Wake Forest, I mean, if they didn't know who, I'm sure they knew who A.J. Dillon was, but if they didn't know already, BC's going to come and run the ball down your throat. And you have to respect that from now on. And I think um, a lot of Anthony Brown's success is built off kind of him being able to play off the play action because... A lot of, he threw, I think, four of his touchdowns, four of his five touchdowns were off play action, and most of them, the receivers were wide open, whether that's down a little bit to the threat of Dylan running the ball um, downhill or um, the defensive backs being a little more suspect. Um, I do think it's very impressive that BC was kind of able to first establish a run and then just let Anthony Brown do his thing. Um, he was making all kinds of throws. I saw one particularly impressive one. It was like a 24-yard back shoulder fade to Jeff Smith on third and 14 at a big moment in the game BC was trailing by three they ended up scoring on that drive I don't think they ever relinquished the lead after that so it's really great to see I know um, you wrote a column on this uh, about how Anthony Brown kind of sets the Eagles ceiling and he seems to kind of be playing to that ceiling right now kind of making every accurate throw um, not making too many mistakes not throwing any interceptions so it's really great to see for the true soft or retro sophomore I guess right I mean AJ Dillon is a great player one of the best running backs in all college football and listen he can rush for 150 yards 200 yards every game but eventually there's going to come a point where BC's offense is too one-dimensional and teams can stack the box like Wake Forest did at the end of the first quarter, kind of setting into the, the second quarter there. And eventually BC's going to have to open up the playbook and, and throw like they did yesterday. And when they do and Anthony hits passes, they're fine. But if he doesn't, that's going to present problems because then you're only going to be relying on Dylan, and then you can't really have a pass game and it's become too predictable for defenses. So what he did was he actually opened up the playbook and hit those passes, and that's why they were able to thrive and have all those touchdown drives, which, by the way, were all of three minutes and a half, I think three and a half minutes or shorter, quick hitters, and the play action, he had about five seconds to throw each time he dropped back there, clean pocket, and when they were just sling it downfield. And for sure, I think um, we should also give a little bit of credit. I think this is probably the best wide receiver and tight end group that yep. BC has had in some time. I know Jeff Smith um, had an unbelievable game. I think he ended up with like 170. 187. All 187 yeah. all-purpose yards. Kobe White, um, him and Anthony Brown seem to have a great rapport going. He caught yet another touchdown. Michael Walker with some big third-down conversions. And then Tommy Sweeney, obviously, he was talked about as one of the biggest um, weapons for Anthony Brown in the passing game going into the season by both the coaching staff and by media members. And he's um, he's finally kind of started to get it going. Um, he caught a touchdown pass. So BC's got no lack of options to kind of throw the ball to any one of those players is capable of making a big play having a big game so it's great to see kind of the diversity and the balance that um on bc's offense that we haven't maybe seen in some time in the column that you brought up before i mentioned that the big thing for anthony is consistency at the quarterback position something that bc hasn't had 
in the past decade, really. And so far, he has been consistent in every in every fashion. 33 of 48 on the season, which is 68.8% completion percentage, 626 yards, nine touchdowns, and zero interceptions. For redshirt sophomore, turnovers is often a big thing. Last year, had nine picks and 10 starts, having zero interceptions in the first three games. Now, I know it was limited time. It's still impressive, especially after that ACC opener. Yeah, for sure. I think, um, obviously, limiting turnovers is going to be a big deal. Um, going forward, he needs to make sure he keeps making those good decisions. But um, I think that he's in a really good place both with his skill position players and with the offensive coaching staff. I think they're doing a really good job of giving him um, giving him a chance to kind of open up the playbook and also giving him not necessarily easy throws but makeable throws that turn into those big plays. I think, I think we've hit on in previous podcasts kind of Scott Leffler and his offensive play design. Um, I think he's doing a really good job of kind of mixing mixing up his looks, mixing up um, the kind of the kind of route trees he runs out of the same formations every time. Um, it's giving kind of Anthony Brown, I think, a lot more options than maybe um, he was given last year right. as as a retro freshman. Obviously, a lot of that comes down to him being experience, more experienced, having a year of starting under his belt. But it's really good to see kind of BC's overall competence behind the offensive side of the ball. It's been kind of a welcome sight over the past couple of games. Yeah, talk about those easy throws. For Anthony Brown, and a lot of them are off the play action, and that's really goes hand in hand with what AJ Dillon does with the running game. If he sets it up, you know, the first drive, three running plays, one, two, three, and the third is a forty-five yard touchdown. Immediately, BC has the ability to go play action and create time in the pocket for Anthony Brown. So he has an easier throw. It's not usually just a dump, you know, like a, a slant route or an out route or something like that, or maybe a curl route. It's more of a play action pass. Hit Michael Walker on a 10-yard button hook or hit Kobe White on a wide receiver comeback route or something like that. It's not the easiest throw, but he has time to do it, and that's what makes it easier. Yeah, I think, um, and also you, you keep mentioning, play action will be a, a big part of BC's offense going forward, and hopefully um, even against more kind of the ACC, like cream of the crop defenses, that kind of, that kind of look can always get those playmakers kind of unbalanced. Maybe you're expecting to have to tackle A.J. Dillon, and all of a sudden there's a receiver flying by you on the outside. So we'll see how BC's offense holds up um, when we go into conference play, but I think we're both pretty optimistic about their chances of kind of keeping up, maybe not 500-plus yards every game, but having success against some of the ACC's elite defenses. Yeah, I think scoring 40 points against a team like Wake Forest is kind of a confirmation of what they have going for them. I mean, when you light up 117 points in the first two weeks of the season, that turns heads, but it was against Holy Cross and UMass. When you're putting up 41 against Wake Forest, especially dating back to last season when you had put up 35 or more, you know, you go, you beat Florida State 35-3, to then you beat UVA 41-10. to When you're doing that season to season, that's when you know you actually have substantial growth within the offense. I think one thing to track is what they do with the running game because the first couple of weeks they were kind of cautious with A.J. Dillon. And then in yesterday's game, I think he had around 18 touches in the first half alone. And that's just going to be something to track. They didn't really mix up Travis Levy in there. You saw Davon Jones in a couple running plays. And then David Bailey, I think, didn't really get too much of action. I don't know if Adagio is going to end up redshirting him with the new redshirt rule or something like that. But it was a little odd how A.J. Dillon was in there for so much time. And by the way, they didn't throw the ball to him again. So... It's more just this one-dimensional, here's AJ, here's our power back. Yeah, I, I think that's, I mean, I, he showcased his hands in the first game. Obviously, he dropped a pass. He also caught a touchdown pass. Um, you make a really good point about what they're going to do with the running game going forward because, obviously, you want to give AJ the ball as much as possible, but also there's the injury risk that comes with it. So I think it might be kind of like a game-by-game thing. Um, obviously, Anthony Brown 
was a little bit inconsistent last year. I mean, maybe if he's having an off game, it's the type of thing where you give AJ 40, 45 carries. But if Anthony Brown is letting it rip, he's making all the throws. Maybe you kind of sub in Travis Levy a little more often, give give him some easy checkdowns, because um, I know he's kind of touted as having more sure hands than AJ. So I, I, I think maybe the answer will come based on what kind of looks the defense gives them, what kind of things um, they're game planning for that week. But yeah, it'll be definitely interesting to see how they continue to feature AJ and having that balance with the run and pass game. I think another interesting point to think about, too, is that maybe Adazio is just game planning for the future. He has A.J. Dillon now, a running back that could be Heisman hopeful, could be an NFL first-round pick. If you're going to have him now, you might as well use him while you have him if he ends up deciding to go to the NFL draft. I know he's very student-focused, and he says he wants to be here for four years, but at the end of the day, you don't know what happens. And when you go up those mock drafts like these players do, sometimes you leave literally. And if Adazio is looking at that, maybe he's just saying, hey, I have him here now. I'm going to use him as much as I can. Yeah. And um, I don't know. AJ's a true sophomore, right? I don't remember exactly the rule. Yep. I think it's three years. So he does have one more year here, I think. You can leave after two. Yeah. Oh, you can leave after two. Yep. Okay. Well, then, yeah, your point about using him while you got him is, is valid. And obviously, maybe um, both kind of playing into that, AJ gets a little more showcasing on a national stage. Um, we get to use one of our biggest weapons on offense uh, more often during the game. But I, I, I think it'll be definitely interesting to see going forward, maybe if they try to get him, because I know in the NFL nowadays, like pass-catching backs are a big deal. Um, I know the Seahawks took a running back in the first round this year, mostly because of his pass-catching peripherals. So it'll be interesting to see if they kind of work work and work him into the passing game a little bit more. Maybe, A, as a way of getting your biggest weapon the ball, in a way that the defense isn't expecting, because I know right now he's not really expected to be a pass-catching threat, and B, maybe to kind of prepare him for his next step a little bit more, too. Right. But honestly, whatever he does, eventually you have to think that some team comes up with some kind of way to prevent him from surpassing even the 150-yard mark. Obviously, the Wake Forest didn't seem like they achieved that, even on the third play of the game. I think it's ultimately going to come down to Anthony Brown if he can put up those consistent numbers against the Clemsons, the Miamis of the world. And if that's really what he can do, and he can, I mean, he's going to throw an interception eventually, but if he has, let's say, a 3-to-1 touchdown-interception ratio, let's say he's completing 65% or more of his passes, that's where BC can actually be competitive in the ACC. So that's definitely something we'll have to track along the way. But for now, BC's 3-0 for the first time since 2007, and we'll see if they're ranked in the AP poll for the first time since 2008, the year, by the way, that BC went to the ACC championship and lost to Virginia Tech. So obviously there's some excitement around Chestnut Hill and Newton, So stay tuned for the next podcast and we'll be back at it again. Thanks.